अखंडम सच्चिदानंदम अवांग मनसगोचरम आत्मानम अखिलाधारम I take refuge in the self, the indivisible, the existence consciousness, bliss absolute, beyond the reach of words and thought, and the substratum of all, for the attainment of my cherished desire. So we are towards the end of the book, where we are discussing the result of all of this, that is uh, twofold, Jivan Mukti, Videha Mukti, which means liberated while in this body, while living in this life, you're free, liberated, enlightened, and therefore free. And after the passing of this body, you are this, the bodiless liberation, the final liberation. So we are discussing what is an enlightened person like? And we were told that if the person is immersed in samadhi, of course, the person will not be aware of, uh, the enlightened one will not be aware of the world. But when the interesting thing happens is that when the person comes out of samadhi, what, what happens? Does that person experience the world like we do? And the answer is yes and no. Yes, just like we see things, hear, smell, taste, touch, so does the enlightened person because all these sense organs are present and the objects manifest themselves. Just as we have thoughts and feelings, uh, so does the enlightened person. Just as we experience pain and suffering, so does the enlightened person. But with this very crucial difference is that the enlightened one sees the reality, sees through all of these experiences to the underlying reality that it is one existence consciousness bliss, which I am, I am that. And therefore, from that perspective, the entire world is an appearance. Appearance of what? Appearance of Brahman or from the enlightened person's perspective, my appearance, not even one bit different from me. So this is the state of the enlightened one. See, always there is this uh, little doubt about do the, you know, does the Buddha or the Vivekananda or Ramana Maharshi, do they see things the way we see it? Do they hear sounds? Do they think or they're always immersed in some kind of light or something like that? So it says, no just like us, and yet not like us, yet utterly unlike us. Uh, text number 220, I'm reading text number 220, talking about this issue. How does the enlightened one experience this world and how is it different from the rest of us? Very much like the rest of us and yet very different from the rest of us, how? Text number 220. It's a quotation from an Upanishad. I don't know which Upanishad. Um, another quotation. Uktam cha sushuptavad jagrati yona pasyati dvayam cha pasyanna picha dvayatvataha tatha cha kurvanna pi sa atmavid this is a quotation from Upadesha Sahasri, which is one of the works of Shankaracharya. Shankaracharya himself composed this. Um, translation. Witness such Shruti passages as though he has ears, he is as one without eyes. Though he has eyes, he is as one without eyes. Though possessed of ears, 
he is as one without ears, etc. It has been further said, he who does not see anything in the waking state as in sound sleep, who though seeing duality does not really see it as he sees only the absolute, who though engaged in work is really inactive, he and none else, none other is the knower of the self. This is the truth. But it's a paradoxical statement. Even while awake, does not see anything as rest of us, we see nothing in deep sleep. What is that like? So that if we just say that much, it might be misleading. We might think that that person is some maybe immersed in some extraordinary experience of the absolute reality. But then immediately after that, he sees those seeing duality. Pashyanapi. Those seeing duality. Actually, seeing duality means so when the person is uh, awake, enlightened one is awake, he sees, he hears, he smells, tastes, and touches. So Sri Ramakrishna, he recognizes the difference between Latu and Naren. Uh, he recognizes which is the temple of Shiva and which is the temple of the Divine Mother. He recognizes which is uh, Kichudi and which is Luchi in the, in, the, in the food. So all of these differences he sees, and he definitely recognizes that. He remembers his uh, native tongue, Bengali. Uh, he um, he likes his likes and dislikes are the, still the same. He likes the sweet jalebi, and so on. So all of those uh, those characteristics which were there before enlightenment, they seem to continue after enlightenment. Now, truly speaking, is he seeing anything at all? People and objects and no, because. Truly speaking, from the perspective of his knowledge, his knowledge is this is one non-dual reality. He might choose to call it the Divine Mother. It is actually all the Divine Mother, the play of the Divine Mother. This is the perspective which we do not have, but the enlightened person has. And that makes all the difference. You see, it's like watching a movie, suppose a tragedy. Now, suppose when someone does not know that it is a movie and sees everything else, everything else in the tragedy and so one weeps, one gets totally absorbed in it. But one vital fact about the whole thing is that it's a movie. That's what saves us from being devastated by the tragedy you see in a movie. If, if you did not know that one vital fact about the movie that it is a movie, it's not ultimately real, uh, then imagine how what your experience would be. Uh, one movie in which so many extraordinary tragedies the hero suffers. If we were to immerse ourselves in that without any ch chance of escape, we would be uh, we would be devastated. We would be broken down. That's what's happening to us in life. The enlightened person sees exactly the same movie. The only difference is the enlightened person knows it's a movie, and the enlightened person knows the underlying reality. The screen is his. He's the one reality and that is forever beyond suffering, that is forever secure, you're forever free. So imagine the peace and the serenity and the calmness with which now the enlightened one can watch the movie as a movie and enjoy it, whereas the rest of us, for us it becomes a nightmare. So sushuptavat jagrati yona pasyati, just like in deep sleep, even in the waking state who does not see and immediately contradicts it, does not see duality, although he sees duality. Now, how can you not see duality while seeing duality? It seems an outright contradiction. And he gives the answer, because of non-duality. What does that mean? It means that uh, you can see the waves in the ocean, and if you try to count the waves, 
you might count 10,000 waves in it. But if you say water, one reality. Now, how many are there? Will you say 10,001? 10,000 waves and one reality, water? No. There is only one. That is water. Once you count water, then you cannot count the waves as apart from water. That will be double counting. Because it is, all of them are water. This is Advayatvata. That means from the perspective of non-duality. See, even as we see 10,000 waves, we actually are seeing 10,000 waves in various states, moving around, interacting, rising, falling. We can truthfully claim there are not 10,000. From the perspective of water, there is only one. Similarly, from the perspective of the absolute reality, there is only one. In our dreams, can we not honestly say after waking up, you know, I went on this African safari and they were my friends and we went on a tour and we saw lions and zebra and the trees and the savanna and the hot sky, African sky and the sun. And yet in the midst of all this tremendous variety, can I not honestly claim there was only one thing there actually? I, the dreamer, my mind basically. That's what became all of that. That's what appeared as all of that. That's the dream and it's an example which Gaudapada uses to great effect in the second chapter of the Mandukya Karika, the Vaitatya uh, Prakarana. But here, if you see, that's a dream. You apply it in our case, you the awareness, which is your real self. There is only one thing that is you the awareness. Everything else is appearing in that. Every, there is no everything else. That alone is, you alone are, you appear as everything. When you are experiencing the world, when you are experiencing the world out there, uh, you're just seeing your own glory, you're seeing your face. When you're not experiencing anything, when the mind is in deep sleep or uh, the mind is in samadhi, then you are just established in your own glory. You are not. It's like sometimes you look at your face in the mirror, sometimes you don't. Your face remains the same. When you look at your face in the mirror, that's experiencing the world. You're just looking at yourself. I'm speaking entirely from the perspective of the enlightened one, not from our perspective. From our perspective, what happens is, I am this person and everything else is separate from me. You are all, there are 70 people here um, and we are all separate from each other. We are located in different places, they're different times. Um, we have all different personal histories. And there is the world surrounding us, you know, our communities, our nations and all. And there's the universe, physical universe with a six billion year history or something like that. Uh, all of that. And that's our perspective. The enlightened one's perspective is that I, the existence consciousness place, am now appearing as all of this. It's like looking at my own face in a mirror. And when the enlightened one is in Samadhi, then none of this appears. And the enlightened one just knows, I am existence consciousness place. It's, it's, uh, I remain as that. Does not even think that, remains as that. So that's the enlightened one's, enlightened one's perspective. Not only experiencing, doing, even while tremendously active with the body and mind, the enlightened one knows that I do not actually do anything. Pure consciousness, what does it do? Even if you look at the dream example of going to the African safari, after waking up, 
will you say you will say i dreamt it all but did you say that I, will you ever say that i went to africa and i went on the safari you did not just as the dreamer's mind did not go to africa and on the safari although the whole thing was experienced and imagined similarly pure consciousness does not do anything although in the world of appearance through the body and mind a lot of action may be done enormous amount of action can be done feeling that i do nothing while doing everything sa atmavit such a one is the knower of the self is the enlightened one nanya not anyone anybody else iti hanishya this conviction this clarity this is knowledge so what is the personality like after enlightenment two questions basically uh, what does this person become after enlightenment what will this person do after enlightenment that's one general question a more specific question will be can this person do anything wrong so that question also will be taken up now text number 222 asya gyanat purvam vidyamananam eva ahara viharadinam anuvrittivat ज or he may become indifferent to all good and evil so the person's body will continue at least continue to appear from our perspective it will just continue and if the body is continuing the sense organs are also continuing and if the senses are continuing the person also can see hear smell taste touch and the mind will continue if the mind is continuing then the personality also will continue after enlightenment Sri Ramakrishna still has the personality of um, a, a priest, a, a poor priest in the Kali Temple of Dakshineshwar, coming from a remote rural area of Bengal. After enlightenment, Narendranath, Vivekananda, has the personality of a young college boy in Calcutta. It's not that they become the same. The, the personalities are still very different. The way of talking, the likes and dislikes, those things continue, because that's been conditioned into the mind. then the bad things also will continue no there is no question of the bad uh, or evil uh, tendencies continuing because those have long ago been overcome what continues is the the mind the personality of a sadhaka the person who has been doing spiritual practices for a long time but suppose there are those tendencies it's unlikely because if the person has become enlightened imagine the amount of discipline and practice the person has gone through the knowledge itself will not arise if the personality is basically immoral or unethical so the very fact that the knowledge has arisen enlightenment is there it means what continues are the all the good qualities the virtues which have been cultivated with great uh, effort over maybe many lifetimes those will continue and the person will continue to be like that or a person may become completely indifferent to both good and bad either the good will continue or be become completely indifferent to good and bad that means 
and the person may simply become you know remain immersed in samadhi or stay in a mountain cave just no manifestation of no evil manifestation of course but no manifestation of any specific you know wonderful qualities towards others may complete, completely become indifferent swami gambhiranand ji says basically the idea is there is no rule for an enlightened one you cannot mandate that after enlightenment the person has to go around starting schools and uh, hospitals and covid test sites and uh, you know uh, fundraising and uh, protecting the environment no you cannot even mandate that the person will go around teaching vedanta no may not may not do that may do it may not do it often they do out of compassion for others they're engaged in all kinds of activities including spiritual teaching imparting spiritual knowledge or they might not and you cannot blame them if you cannot say they are not enlightened if they don't do that because there is no rule for the enlightened one swami gambhiran ji says in one of his very perceptive essays that the enlightened one the jivan mukta can be of three types three types the jivan mukta depending upon the samskaras of the past one type is the person realizing the utter falsity of the appearance and the reality of brahman decides to remain immersed in that immersed in that what uh, in what sense in the sense of samadhi might remain very meditative indrawn um, occasionally going into samadhi and external activity might be minimal almost non existent such saints have been there say for example someone like totapuri so very little activity on the outside of course he did teach a little bit but um, nothing more than that that's one kind see this is exactly what narendranath wanted to do do you remember the story when he got first got nirvikalpa samadhi and then sri ramakrishna asked so now what do you want and he said well i want to remain like this once in a while i might come down for a snack for a little bit of food and then go back into nirvikalpa samadhi uh, sri ramakrishna of course scolded him he said uh, that fire on you i thought you would be like a great banyan tree under whose shade thousands of people you know in the years to come will find shade and shelter and here you are thinking only about your own liberation fire on you now that fire on you thank god he said that that's why we are all beneficiaries today the whole world is the beneficiary but what narendranath was asking is perfectly all right from the perspective of classical advaita vedanta there may there is a class class of uh, liberated ones who may choose to remain in samadhi that's the first type the first type uh, what sri ramakrishna asked narendranath to become is the third type we will come to that in between there is the second type the second type is one who realizes the falsity of the world who realizes that i am brahman but yet the world appears like a magic show to such a person uh, there is the example of the sadhu who's an enlightened one living in a little hut sri ramakrishna gave this example once in a while he would rush out of the hut look at the temple and the clouds in the sky and the river and shout wow wow wonderful wonderful what what a show and then go back into the hut again now for him this uh, entire universe and all of life is an amazing appearance of the absolute it's extraordinary how one uniform being consciousness bliss can appear one existence can appear as multiple billions of entities one unchanging absolute being can appear as um, continuously changing birth and death creation and destruction from the tiniest scale to the universe that one consciousness can appear as 
millions of non-conscious entities, uh, objects, you know, how the pure subject can appear as objects, how bliss itself can be transformed and appear as the struggle for uh, happiness and the struggle to overcome sorrow, this entire panorama of samsara. What a show, the greatest show on earth, uh, not I can't say greatest show on earth, earth is a part of it, the universe is a part of it, so it's a great show. And this person is amazed and delighted by it. So they are often the childlike saints who are in great joy and delight, uh, or they may be the crazy persons of God, every uh, spiritual tradition has it. They may appear to be totally mad from our perspective. They are mad, but they are mad with God, with bliss. And this, they are far more wise than we are, but from our perspective, they may appear to be mad. There was this uh, crazy person who came to Dakshineshwar when Sri Ramakrishna was there. And people thought he was mad, you know, dirty and ha matted hair. And he goes to the temple of the Divine Mother and then chants um, a hymn in mellifluous Sanskrit. And it says that as if the entire temple shook with the power of the chanting. Now, Sri Ramakrishna pointed him out as an enlightened being, but who was mad. And Riday, Sri Ramakrishna's attendant and nephew, wanted to get some spiritual instruction from this liberated one. So he chased this person. The person was leaving uh, Dakshineshwar. Riday chased and um, this yogi threw stones to dissuade him, but Riday pers persisted. And finally, and asked for some instruction. Finally, the, this enlightened one told him, when the ditch water, there was a ditch there, when the ditch water and the water in the Ganga, they seem to be, they, you realize they are the same reality. You will know the truth. What it means from an Advaitic perspective, we understand. Ditch water is also not ditch water. Ganga water is also not Ganga water. Both are appearances in one reality, which is existent consciousness place. But if you not just say it, but you really see it that way. Um, so that's the second category of Jivan Mukta, who are enlightened, fully enlightened, but um, they see the world, the universe as, um, as an amazement, as a wonder, as a magic show. And they are lost in the wonder of it or the bliss of it. Um, they often pass into ecstasies, you know. Um, then the third category is what Sri Ramakrishna advised. So this is the one who is fully enlightened and looks at the world and sees us sentient beings and his or her, her heart melts in sorrow for us, in, in compassion for us. He realized that we are none other than him, but we do not uh, know the truth and we are suffering in samsara and we are seeking what he has. So he wants to give us that, that, that realization. He wants to take us where he is, to give us that enlightenment. And so he turns towards us in compassion and teaches. So the spiritual teaching might be there and it can go further, not just spiritual teaching to remove uh, suffering ultimately, but many of us, we are suffering. We are not really looking for spiritual teachings. We, we are suffering in many levels in samsara. And the enlightened one, this one, whose heart melts in compassion, will try to remove sufferings at every level. So might even give food to the hungry and uh, nurse the sick and give uh, secular knowledge to the illiterate and the ignorant, and of course, spiritual knowledge to those who are seeking it. This is a third category of the uh, Jivan Mukta. 
it is somewhat similar to the mahayana buddhist ideal of the bodhisattva who takes a vow to liberate all beings so in vivekananda said my mission in life can be put in a few words it is it is to preach unto all humanity their inherent divinity and how to make it manifest in every movement of life very beautiful stirring words this is the third kind of jivan mukta um so the point here which is made here is the jivan mukta may be entirely may be very active or may not be all are from the perspective of enlightenment they are all enlightened this avatar sri ramakrishna avatar uh, there is a distinct favoring of the third kind of jivan mukta so even when we are not jivan muktas yet the whole teaching of the ramakrishna order is oriented towards that that uh, for the welfare for your own enlightenment and the welfare of all for your own enlightenment and the welfare of all is which kind of jivan mukta the third kind but from the perspective of the philosophy all three are enlightened this uh, difference sri ramakrishna gives with another nice example he says there is one kind of enlightened one who is like the man who eats a mango delicious mango and then quickly wipes his mouth so nobody knows this person is enlightened that's it his or her own goal is fulfilled that person is enlightened and free and there's another one who finds the mango and it's delicious and immediately invites the neighborhood to partake in the joys and the festivities so that's the third kind so that's why here it is said may go on acting on the impulse of the good qualities of the mind which have been inculcated throughout the period of spiritual practice or may become shubha shubhayor audasinyamva may become indifferent to all good and bad indifferent means completely absorbed in brahman or in the the real self now a specific question still the problem persists and there has always been this anxiety i think it shows from the most ancient times can this philosophy be misused and there is a possibility that's why this question comes up again and again once you begin to realize your real nature right now is free of good and bad cannot be killed cannot be destroyed is beyond suffering the impure mind is likely to misuse this that i can do anything um Sri Ramakrishna mentions this uh, um, sadhu who was there in Dakshineshwar, who was a who used to talk a lot about Vedanta, but would tell lies. So Sri Ramakrishna scolded him. You say so much. You speak about Vedanta. You say I am Brahman, but why do you tell lies? And listen to the answer of that monk. He said, "Oh, the whole world is false. Why are you catching only my falsehoods?" And Sri Ramakrishna was so aghast that he was speechless. He didn't know what to say to that. No, that doesn't. Uh, you know, uh, uh, that cannot be accept, accepted. So, enlightened one can they do wrong things? And there are these texts which he quotes. Two quotations to the specific question: Can a non-dualist who is enlightened be up to mischief? Taduktam. बुद्धाद्वैत 
ಭಕ್ಷಣೆ ಸೊ ದಿಸ್ ಈಸ್ ಫ್ರಮ್ ದ ನೈಷ್ಕರ್ಮ್ಯ ಸಿದ್ಧಿ ದನ್ ಅನದರ್ ಒನ್ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮವಿತ್ತ ತುಕ್ತ ಸ ಆತ್ಮಜ್ಞೋ ನೇತರ ದಿಸ್ ಈಸ್ ಫ್ರಮ್ ದ ಉಪದೇಶ ಸಹಸ್ರಿ ದೂ ಕೋಟ್ಸ್ ದ ಫಸ್ಟ್ ಒನ್ ಇಸ್ ಪ್ರಿಟಿ ಹಾರ್ಶ್ ದಸ್ ಇಟ್ ಹಸ್ ಬೀನ್ ಸೇಡ್ ಇಫ್ ಅ ಮ್ಯಾನ್ ಹೂ ಹಸ್ ನೋನ್ ದ ಟ್ರೂಥ್ ಆಫ್ ಒನ್ನೆಸ್ ಆಕ್ಟ್ಸ್ ಅಕಾರ್ಡಿಂಗ್ ಟು ಹಿಸ್ ವಿಮ್ಸ್ ದೆನ್ ವೆರ್ ಇಸ್ ದ ಡಿಫ್ರೆನ್ಸ್ ಬಿಟ್ವೀನ್ ಅ ನೋವರ್ ಆಫ್ ಟ್ರೂಥ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಅ ಡಾಗ್ ಆಸ್ ರಿಗಾರ್ಡ್ಸ್ ಈಟಿಂಗ್ ಇನ್ ಪ್ಯೂರ್ ಸ್ಟಫ್ ದಿಸ್ ರೆಫರ್ಸ್ ಟು ದ ಕ್ಲಾಸಿಕ್ ಎಕ್ಸಾಂಪಲ್ ಆಫ್ ಅ ಡಾಗ್ ಯು ನೋ ಡಾಗ್ ಥ್ರೋಸ್ ಅಪ್ ವಾಮಿಟ್ಸ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ದೆನ್ ಲಿಕ್ಸ್ ದ ವಾಮಿಟ್ it's like that he says this is as bad when a person who's enlightened who who really might say that might realize i am brahman this world is an appearance and then again react to the world you know um, and try to pursue pleasure there and avoid pain there and even um, violate uh, morality there then how is what you have thrown up like vomited out as it were you have given it up why are you again engaging in that then what's the difference between you and the dog on the street who throws up and licks the vomit so this is a very harsh kind of uh, example basically um, how can a knower of brahman stoop to such levels and uh, so this is a quote from a very well known advaita text advanced text called naishkarmya siddhi the attain attainment of actionlessness or beyond action this was written by sureshwar acharya one of the greatest disciples of direct disciples of shankara acharya um sureshwar acharya was a very great scholar there's a little bit of controversy about this but more or less the tradition is that before becoming a monk he was mandana mishra Uh, a great scholar of purva mimamsa the ritualistic portion of the vedas and he was always engaged in vedic ritualism and the story goes that shankaracharya wanted to prove the the primacy that the ultimate teaching of uh, the vedas is the upanishads which which teach knowledge not ritualistic uh, action not yagya but uh, knowledge which leads to liberation ritualistic action was meant to keep you in this wheel of samsara just from a difficult life to a very present life in this life and then you go to heaven after death then you stay there for some time and that merit gets exhausted the merit of the ritualistic actions gets exhausted you come back to this world so uh, samsara but a kind of elevated kind of samsara that was the goal of the ritualism the ritualistic portion of the vedas and the upanishads say that there is an there's a limit to that you cannot be satisfied by that you must come out of that and attain liberation enlightenment so this was the difference between the two philosophies and therefore shankaracharya who gave importance to the upanishads and god realization enlightenment he came in uh, clash with the uh, purva mimamsakas and one big difference between the two schools was the the purva mimamsakas they said it was religion is entirely a householder affair that means you will remain in householder life perform the duties of householder life and perform vedic rituals which requires you to be married and uh, monasticism was either forbidden or uh, looked down upon be- becoming a monk whereas shankaracharya you know he uh, promoted 
monasticism to the highest position. Uh, because monasticism of becoming a monk is meant for becoming enlightened. So when they came in contact, uh, Shankaracharya went to him to debate so that if he could, can defeat Mandana Mishra in a debate, then his position would be established. The position of, of uh, Vedanta as against the position of the ritualists. And this is a very interesting story of how he goes there and he challenges Mandana Mishra to a debate and uh, uh, a long debate ensues, you know, this uh, fierce debate. And Mandana Mishra's wife, Ubhaya Bharati, is the judge. She was such a uh, learned and wise lady. She's a judge. And the conditions are very difficult. The conditions of the debate are, if Shankaracharya said, Shankaracharya said, if I win, then you will have to give up your householder life and become a monk and follow me because you have to accept my philosophy in, in, in total. So that's so she's judging a debate in which her, if her husband loses, her husband will leave her and go away and become a monk. And the opposite was, the, the Mandana Mishra said, fine, but if you lose the debate, then you have to give up your monastic life and give up all that nonsense and marry and become a proper ritualist, uh, lead the householder life. So in the end, uh, uh, Ubhaya Bharati decides in favor of Shankaracharya that uh, he is right. And as the conditions, no, condition, terms and conditions apply. So uh, her husband had to leave her on a householder life and become a monk. And the story goes, he's the one who became Sureshwaracharya, one, the, one of the senior most and most learned among Shankaracharya's disciples. And he composed some wonderful um, commentaries, sub-commentaries on Shankara's commentaries. So Shankaracharya com uh, composed commentaries on the Upanishads and the Brahma Sutra and the Bhagavad Gita. And Sureshwaracharya's commentary, sub-commentary on Shankaracharya's commentary, they are known as Vartika. Shankaracharya's commentaries are Bhashya, the major commentary. And um, Sureshwaracharya's commentaries are sub-commentaries called Vartika. Um, there's a definition of the vartika. What is a vartika? Ukta, nukta, duruktamcha. So whatever has been said by the commentator, Shankaracharya, you have to explain that. Whatever has not been said by the commentator, you have to fill in those gaps. And whatever has been said in a difficult way by the commentator, you have to make that easy. And that's your job as the vartika. And another ex extra problem with the vartika is, that form, is that it's all in verse. So you have to write it all in poetry, in verse. <laughs> So in Advaita Vedanta tradition, um, Shankaracharya is known as Bhashyakara, the great commentator. And Sureshwaracharya is known as Vartikakara, the great sub-commentator. So if you just hear monks talking about the commentator says this, they mean Shankaracharya. They means to talk about the Vartikakara says this, they mean Sureshwaracharya. So Sureshwaracharya wrote Vartika, sub-commentary, on Shankaracharya's commentary on the Taittiriya Upanishad, um, on Shankaracharya's famously Shankaracharya's commentary on the Brihadarnyaka Upanishad. So Brihadarnyaka Upanishad, which is the largest of the Upanishads, Shankaracharya's commentary is extensive, and the Vartika of Shureshwaracharya is massive. I have seen a condensation of that made by a later master, which says in modern times, later means still 600 years ago. Um, by Vidyarani actually. He says in modern times, that means his time, 600 years ago, people are used to a fast life and they are not ready to read, read such massive books like the Vartika the, of Sureshwaracharya. So he's talking about something 600 years ago. Now, if he lived in the age of sound bites 
and Twitter. I think you're limited to what 26 characters. Uh, so, so he he says for their sake to make things easy, I am compressing, I am uh, summarizing the uh, commentary of Suresh, the sub commentary of Sureshwar Acharya, and the the summary itself was more than a thousand pages. <laughs> so that was the book, and Sureshwar Acharya has written another vartika on um, the Dakshinamurti Stotra uh, of Shankaracharya and uh, independent work Naishkarmya Siddhi so from which this is being quoted and all of this was to tell you something about the um, book itself from which this rather harsh comment is being uh, quoted another comment this is from Shankaracharya's own independent work, Upadesha Sahasri. Brahma vittam tatha muktva na atmagyo, uh, sa atmagyo, na chayetara. Let alone doing wrong things, let alone, let alone being arrogant or you know nasty or whatever, let alone, that's unthinkable. Even the, the ego of being a knower of Brahman, I am enlightened, until one gives that up and goes beyond that, one is not enlightened. So to that extent, one must give up all identification with this personality. At the very least, I can say, I, I am at least enlightened. Give me that much at least. No, in that case, you aren't enlightened. This is from the Kena Upanishad itself. Those who say that I know it as this, they do not know it. And those who say it cannot be known as this, the specific, this kind of, you know, like a conception, they know it. It is known to those who say they do not know it. It is unknown to those who say they know it. So on the authority of that, the one who says, I am a knower of Brahman. So I like that quote from Nisargadatta, which makes it very clear. When somebody says, you are a knower of Brahman, he says, no, you're insulting me. How is no, being knower of Brahman an insult? He says, no, I'm not a knower of Brahman. I am Brahman. <laughs> knower of Brahman would mean something other than Brahman. No, that's not possible. I am Brahman. All the good qualities persist. 224. After realization, humility and other attributes, which are steps to the attainment of knowledge, as also such virtues as non-injury, etc., persist like so many ornaments. Um, so here the reference is 13th chapter of Bhagavad Gita, Sri Krishna tells Arjuna, what are the qualities you must cultivate? What are the moral qualities, ethical qualities one must cultivate to be fit for enlightenment? So 20 qualities he has enumerated. So it's a long and difficult list. It starts with the, the first verse is in that list. Amanitvam adam bhitvam ahim so, amanitvam, um, lack of uh, pride or arrogance. Uh, adamba, uh, lack of, uh, it's, it's a variation of that. Um, uh, lack of 
actually that that means lack of uh, arrogance overcoming arrogance becoming humble humility basically ahimsa non violence shanti forgiveness of uh, people committing wrongs to you um then uh, arjavam straightforwardness simplicity straightforwardness sri ramakrishna valued this very much he says uh, that in one's last life one becomes simple and there's no crookedness left in the character swami vivekananda said what's the ideal personality he says combine childlike simplicity with utmost seriousness combine childlike simplicity with utmost seriousness and he was the best example of that you know one american lady who was his uh, you know who, who played the host while he was here she says he reminded me of nothing more than a, a great big boy you know like a five year old boy uh, where you would feel afraid for him as he goes out into the world as simple as a child but it combined it with utmost seriousness that's our problem we our character our uh, characters are just the opposite we combine uh, a very complicated nature with uh, superficiality our lives thoughts activities are superficial on the surface and inside we tend to be complicated you know have complexes have uh, in bengali they say ankad bankad crooked edges so which you need to be polished up that's what life does all the knocks and blows we get in life basically matures us we we call it maturity but that's just polishing of the inner crookedness and makes us simple people might think oh if i'm simple I'll, the people will take advantage of me they might but in general they won't and there is a saying that nothing confounds the clever so much so as simplicity nothing confounds the clever uh, as much as simplicity so he says here all these qualities which are which the enlightened one has cultivated through many years of spiritual practice these are gyana sadhanani these are resources for enlightenment and uh, other virtues like non violence etc non injury to others alankaravat they persist after enlightenment also you will see the enlightened one is uh, very gentle is is very humble one thing everybody noticed the first thing generally people noticed about sri ramakrishna when they came to visit him was they, that he would salute them before they even got a chance to salute him and if they bowed down low he would bow even lower to them <laughs> so it's something that he taught he practiced and taught by example humility um, being respectful of everybody acharya um, upasanam respect and service to the guru the spiritual master that will also persist it's not like uh, after enlightenment ah i'm enlightened now i don't need the guru anymore i'm going to give him a piece of my mind no that will not <laughs> that will not happen you that same respect will continue he'll have deep respect for the guru that kabir das's song is there guru govind that means guru and krishna both appeared to me at the same time to whom will i bow down right of course we'll bow down to both the spiritual master and god both appeared to me at the same time whom will i bow down to first and then the conclusion is i will bow down to the guru first because it's only through the guru that i got the vision of god then he goes on taduktam it is said उत्पन्न आत्मावबोधस्य 
ಹಿಯದ್ವೇಷ್ಟ್ವಾದೋ ಗುಣ ಅಯತ್ನತೋವಂತ್ಯ ನು ಸಾಧನ ಅಗೇನ ಕೋಟ್ ಫ್ರಮ್ ದಿ ನೈಷ್ಕರ್ಮ್ಯ ಸಿದ್ಧಿ ಆಫ್ ಸುರೇಶ್ವರಾಚಾರ್ಯ ದಸ್ ಇಟ್ ಹಸ್ ಬೀನ್ ಸೆಡ್ ಸಚ್ ಕ್ವಾಲಿಟೀಸ್ ಆಸ್ ನಾನ್ ವಯಲೆನ್ಸ್ ಎಟ್ಸೆಟ್ರಾ ಕಮ್ ಸ್ಪಂಟೇನಿಯಸ್ಲಿ ಟು ಅ ಮ್ಯಾನ್ ಹೂ ಹಸ್ ಗಾಟ್ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ನಾಲೆಜ್ ದೇ ಹ್ಯಾವ್ ನಾಟ್ ಟು ಬಿ ಸಾಟ್ ಆಫ್ಟರ್ ಸೊ ದೀಸ್ ಕ್ವಾಲಿಟೀಸ್ ವಿಚ್ ಬಿಫೋರ್ ಎನ್ಲೈಟನ್ಮೆಂಟ್ ವಿ ಪ್ರಾಕ್ಟಿಸ್ಡ್ ವಿ ಸ್ಟ್ರಗಲ್ಡ್ ವಿ ರಿಫೈನ್ಡ್ after enlightenment they persist but they are very natural um, so it's just an expression of the enlightened person's enlightenment this is na sadhana rupina is this person is not practicing um, an ethical lifestyle in order to become enlightened already the person is enlightened but is is ethical is truthful is is courageous uh, is patient uh, is unselfish why because that's the most natural expression of his enlightenment what he has realized if he has to live it in life it would be like that you basically you become a saint so this is the life of uh, the enlightened one as long as this body persists uh, swami vivekananda says he no longer than how this body lives or goes its task is done let karma float it down and this is how it ends also the last part of the text says kim bahunayam deha yatra matrartham icha nichcha paricha prapitani sukha dukha lakshanani arabdha phalani anubhavan antakarana abhasadinam avabhasakah san tad avasane ಪ್ರತ್ಯಗಾನಂದಪರಬ್ರಹ್ಮಣಿ ಪ್ರಾಣೇಲೀನೆ ಸತಿ ಅಜ್ಞಾನತತ್ಕಾರ್ಯಸ್ಕಾರಾಶಾತ್ ಪರಮಕೈವಲ್ಯ ಆನಂದಕರಸಖಿಲಭೇದ್ರತಿಭಾಸರಹಿತ ಅಖಂಡ್ರಹ್ಮತಿಷ್ಠತೆ ಸೊ ವಾಟ್ ಹ್ಯಾಪನ್ಸ್ ಇನ್ ದ ಎಂಡ್ ಇನ್ ದ ಬಾಡಿ ಪ್ಯಾಸಸ್ ಅವೇ ಇನ್ ಶಾರ್ಟ್ such a man's soul remains as the illuminer of the mental states and the consciousness reflected in them experiencing solely for the maintenance of the body happiness and misery the results of past actions that have already begun to bear fruit prarabdha and have been either brought on on by his own will or by that of another or against his will after the exhaustion of the prarabdha work prarabdha karma basically his vital force is absorbed in the supreme brahman the inward bliss and ignorance with its effects and their impressions is also destroyed when uh, then he is identified with the absolute brahman the supreme isolation the embodiment of bliss in which there is not even the appearance of duality so this is called uh, videha mukti the final bodiless liberation already enlightened already liberated but this distinction with body and without body is from our perspective uh, for, truly from the enlightened one's perspective it makes very little difference it's just when the body is there the body will appear and the world appearance also will appear to him and when the body goes the world appearance will cease to appear it like being permanently in samadhi kim bahunayam what more is there to say so the other is about to conclude and having 
completed this journey together from the very beginning till now we are at an end so what more is there to say what will go on then deha yatra matra artham whatever is necessary for the continuation of the body uh, you know that much it might be just a hermit living in, in a hut or a cave um, begging his daily food that's all icha nicha paricha prapitani so by one's own will where will that will come from from the mind which has appeared that that mind itself will have oh there is hunger in the body let me get some food um anicha might not want it disease comes so even the enlightened one doesn't want disease to come to the body um disease comes all right it comes there was no desire for that but it came or by the desires of others so they are often childlike so what others tell them to do they do it i remember this sadhu i haven't met him but one monk told me about him in some recent times maybe a few decades ago in a monastery in punjab so when the old monk passed away the one who was the head of the monastery he instead of nominating another senior monk he nominated a young ma- uh, monk as the head of the monastery because he said that one is enlightened and then he told the other monks to take care of him because he says he's like a child so an example of how this monk he was, it seems he was an extraordinary uh, monk how he was like a child um, some devotee turned up from a distant town and said uh, swami you want to come for a spin in my car i said all right let's go and he left the monastery and disappeared <laughs> so <laughs> uh, they had to search for him and bring him back again so he was like that like a child whatever somebody told him it says paricha by the will of another the other person tells him to do so another ex- extraordinary example is shankara shankaracharya himself the uh, the vamachara tantrika the practitioner of tantra the left hand side or the black arts of magic who came to him and said to shankaracharya you are enlightened and you know that you are not the body and shankaracharya of course had to say yes i am not the body he wanted to kill shankaracharya actually so he said i need to sacrifice uh, a pure sanyasi like you and to get you know like occult powers from my uh, rituals and uh, so if you are not the body you should be willing to give me the body it should be nothing to you and shankaracharya said yes that's um, uh, you can have the body if you want but just wait my disciples are here if they know about it they'll <laughs> they'll give you a beating so let them go to rest and then i'll i'll go with you so all the disciples went to rest and shankaracharya followed as if he has no particular will about this this body here is somebody who wants it let them let the person take it again can kill this body if they want so he follows luckily he was rescued he is a close disciple padmapada acharya so there is the story you know padmapada padmapada acharya suddenly noticed that shankaracharya is not there nearby and he wondered where he was and with his um, he started following the track and then he saw that uh, arrangements had been made for a human sacrifice from black magic you know uh, to kill shankaracharya to cut off his head and uh, so uh, padmapada acharya his ishta devata was nrsinga the vishnu in the form of the terrible form of vishnu so suddenly god manifests in the form of the man lion the terrible form of vishnu and uh, catches hold of the uh, that tantrika and tears him apart rescuing shankaracharya 
So this is a very fanciful way of telling the tale. It, it's quite possible that in the jungle, a lion might have attacked uh, the tantric and that might have saved Shankaracharya, whatever the story is. Why did I say that? Yes, you can take the body if you want. And I don't need it. Childlike. On the wishes of somebody else. So that's how the life of this enlightened one uh, goes on. Sukha, Dukha, Lakshanani. Pleasure and pain as they are generated by his past karma, which is propelling this one body, this body. All the accumulated karma has been burnt away by enlightenment. Just this uh, activated karma called prarabdha karma. This will go on till the end of this body. It is true for us. It's true for the enlightened one. It's just we are caught up in this body. And we really feel there's no rescue for us when um, pain and misery come to us. But for the enlightened one, he is not this body. So all the pain and pleasure which come to the body, they wash over the body and go, and he, to him it is nothing. Anubhavan, experiencing them. And what does he see himself as in the midst of all of this? Antakkarana abhasadinam avabhasakasan. Being the illuminer, the witness, the conscious, consciousness behind the mind and the reflected consciousness. So I am the face. Here is the mirror. Here is the reflected face. I am not the mirror. I am not the reflected face. I am this one. I am very clear about it. Just as we know this without any doubt. And we can use a mirror. We can see our face in the mirror. We can shave. We can brush. Uh, similarly, the enlightened one knows I am not the body. I am not even the mind, the personality. I am not even the consciousness reflected in the mind. I am the witness consciousness. He says here, Avabhasaka, illuminer. Illuminer of what? Antakkarana. Uh, the inner instrument, mind, intellect, memory, and ego. So I am the witness of the ego also. Not only that, I am the witness of the consciousness reflected in the ego, the consciousness shining in the ego. That also I am not. That is the reflected consciousness, Chidabhasa. Remaining like the sun, Tad Avasane. When all of these sees, all of these sees means when the body seizes. Uh, why will the body seize? The fuel which was running the body so long, the, the prarabdha karma, the past karma, which determines the uh, lifetime of each one of us. Uh, we live exactly as, our, as much prarabdha karma we have for this body. Can we go? It could be COVID, it could be an accident, it could be whatever. But that's not the real cause. The real cause is the prarabdha for this body has run out. Um, so when the prarabdha for the enlightened person's body runs out, then what happens? Here is the difference between us and the enlightened one. In our case, the rest of the subtle body, the physical body falls apart at the physical death. But the subtle body, what is the subtle body? Pranamaya kosha, manomaya kosha, vijnanamaya kosha. The pranic system, the life forces, they gather up. And they gather up with the powers of the senses, the motor organs and the um, sense organs, not the physical sense organs, those powers. The subtle body, uh, with the, the pranamaya kosha, the sensory powers, then the manomaya kosha, the mind and the memory uh, and the ego and the vijnanamaya kosha, the intellect, all of them bundle up into a seed form, getting ready to depart from this body. And that seed form is, is the causal body, the anandamaya kosha. And in that is reflected the consciousness of the witness, uh, with the reflected consciousness. 
This subtle body, causal body with the reflected consciousness is called the sentient being, the jiva. And at that point, the jiva will feel, I am dying. Oh my God, what's happening to me? And I'm dead. <laughs> may not think it that, think that way. May again come into awareness in some other world. And will finally come into uh, this world back again as a baby somewhere born again. So this is, the, this is what happens to us usually. We have gone through many such lives. So we do not die with the death of the physical body. That will be buried or burnt or whatever. And the enlightened one, this is the beautiful thing that happens. At that point, when the physical body falls apart, the subtle body and the causal body, they disappear back into Brahman. They, uh, they, into Maya, basically, uh, from where they had emerged. So he says, Pratyagaranda parabrahmani prane line sati. The pranamaya kosha, the manomaya kosha, vijnanamaya kosha, anandamaya kosha. It all merges back into uh, the consciousness within, which is the supreme Brahman. Um, and so there are Upanishadic uh, texts which talk about this very poetically. What happens at the death of the uh, enlightened one, the enlightened one's body. And he says, um, the, the elements of the subtle body, they go back to the supreme cause. In the case of the ordinary person, they bundle up and they transmigrate. Forced by accumulated karmas, they go to other you know, the destination, higher or lower uh, heavens or hells or whatever they go on. But this one will not. You are, the cage is broken. Buddha said the cage is broken. Uh, he says to Maya, you will not weave your house of deceit again. I have seen through you. So the cage is broken. The cage basically melts back into Brahman. Ignorance and all of its products. Ajnana tatkarya sanskarana api vinashat. Ignorance and all its products have all long been destroyed. He's already enlightened. He was already enlightened. So there's no more ignorance and its products. Then what will happen? Parama kraivalyam. The supreme isolation, the supreme uh, aloneness, the supreme oneness, kaivalyam, oneness, that alone, kevala. Ananda ekarasam, what is it like? Uh, undivided bliss, pure bliss. Akhila bheda pratibhasarahitam. How is that different from uh, the enlightened one while being alive? He says the difference is akhila bheda pratibhasarahitam. It is devoid of even the appearance of the universe. In the case of the enlightened one who is in this body, living, the living enlightened one, Jivan Mukta, at least the universe is appearing to this person. And this person is acting through, knowing that I am Brahman, but still acting through the body and the mind, the personality of the, uh, of the enlightened one. But that once that body goes, and that mind also goes, so all the appearance of the universe also disappears. And then what? Nothing? No. Existence, consciousness, bliss, infinity. Pratibhasarahitam, uh, the appearance of this, this limited appearance of the universe. You're taking one perspective. Uh, that goes away. Akhanda Brahmavatishtati, the undivided Brahman alone remains. This is where we started. You remember? Akhandam Satchidanandam. The infinite, undivided existence, consciousness, bliss. 
that remains remains means it was always there it is there it continues to be there and then he quotes from um, the upanishads natasya prana utkramanti the enlightened ones the subtle body does not transmigrate from going from one body to another it stops right here i remember uh, swami suhitanand ji told us about the passing of swami premeshanand ji and uh, you know he served swami premeshanand who was a disciple of uh, the holy mother with so much devotion and swami premeshanand ji had said do you, do you want something from me and one thing he had asked for was and i've seen in the hospital how when people die and they try to resuscitate at that time there was no dnr i think do not resuscitate so they try to resuscitate and uh, um so they put needles in they cut and they do this thing i don't want them to do that to your body so swami premeshanand ji said all right so that was there was something else that he asked also but this was there so that when the time came he says he t- told me that he is to take care of the swami who did not see in his eyes also at the end towards the end of his life he had become like a child he had to be fed so the doctor had come to check on him and this was in banaras uh, the kashi shivashram so doctor had come to check on him early that morning and the swami was doing quite well um, the doctor said he is fine today he is doing much better today and the doctor got up to leave and swami suhitanand ji who was a novice at that time he said that i will just see of the doctor and went to the courtyard to see of the doctor and he came back and he started feeding the swami again and he said he didn't eat some porridge on the spoon and uh, he said that that often happened he was like a child you had to coax him you know he used to say in bengali like maharaj mukta kholun akchamo ek tukhan eat a little as one spoon open your mouth he did that no reaction he was sitting there just like a doll and so swami suhitanji he said i felt a little uneasy i mean just this moment the doctor said he's fine so he kept the bowl down and he ran after the doctor who had not even left that the precincts he was still there and said the doctor come back and take a look something strange is happening the doctor came back he's gone he's gone he said swami suhitanji said i was amazed he said uh, it's like uh, like the ticking of a clock you know this goes tick tock and then stops nothing more now later on he said i had a doubt i thought he would such a great one maybe he would attain uh, uh, mahasamadhi there'll be like visions of god or something will happen an ecstasy which we read about but in his case nothing happened it just stopped and yet he is regarded as an enlightened one in this very life so he went and asked uh, vishwarupanand ji who was a great uh, advaita master living in that monastery at that time who has written the four volumes of the brahma sutras translations in bengali a very great uh, master at that time so he asked this great vedanta teacher you know i have this little doubt there's no doubt he was a great swami but i have this little doubt when he passed so it just stopped like a clock ticking and then stopped nothing i thought there would be ecstasy something like that and that swami became so excited what do you, what are you saying is that how it happened come i will show you and then he opened the upanishads and one after another he showed these references this is exactly what happens when a person is a jivan mukta already a brahma gyani so the body just stops and then nothing more is there the the person already had merged in the infinite it's just the body and the mind and the the prana these uh, products of prakriti of nature which merge back into prakriti 
So Brahman alone remains. Atrayava samaniyante. In Brahman alone, all this body and subtle body and all, they are, they are merged back. Um, subtle body and the causal body are merged back. Physical body goes back to physical nature. Subtle body goes back to subtle nature. And causal body goes back to maya. So you do not have an individual existence anymore. You are the infinite. Vimuktascha vimuchyate. This is another one. Quotation, quotation from the Kathopanishad. Beautiful. It says, being liberated, he becomes liberated. What does that mean? Being liberated, already a Jivan Mukta, already liberated in this life, becomes liberated. Liberated in what sense? Videha Mukta, the bodiless liberation. Again, I must emphasize, from the enlightened person's perspective, these are not important. I am Brahman, that's the, that's the thing. It's done long ago. But from our perspective, these are big events. And you know, it's also a loss because this person is no longer available to us in a way in which we can interact. We can talk and... Uh, uh, you know, be in the company of this person. Compare such Shruti passages as his sense organs do not depart elsewhere for transmigration. They are absorbed in him. Already a liberated soul, he is freed from further rebirths. So, before I take up the question answer, let me bring an end to this book. Um, in our monastery, when we complete a text, so we, at the end, the, in the last class, we chant uh, Jai Shri Guru Maharaj Ji Ki, victory to Guru Maharaj, victory to the Divine Mother, victory to Swami Vivekananda. So that's how we will end. And then hang around, I'll take up the questions. Om Shanti 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 Harihi Om Tat Sat Shri Krishna Rupanamastu Jai Shri Guru Maharaj Ji Ki Jai Jai Mahamai Ki Jai Jai Swami Ji Maharaj Ji Ki Jai I pray to the Lord that He by whose grace we have been able to start and continue and complete this text may the knowledge embodied in this text come into our lives, may it illumine our hearts and make our lives blessed. Um, so let me quickly look at the comments here and questions. Sandhya and Rajiv say that, remind me Shlok 254 from Bhagavad Gita. Chita Pragyasya Kavash. Yes, what are the qualities of the enlightened one? Prabhupada Basu says, there seems to be a contradiction with Gita 6.2, it says karma yogis and sannyasis should desire, should be desireless. Yes, you give up all desires and the enlightened one also has no desires really. But it's still, the Sri Ramakrishna says, it's like a rope which cannot bind. A burnt rope, looks like a rope, it cannot bind you. You just blow at it and it goes away into ashes. Um, a sword, he gives example, a sword which has been transformed into gold. It can't cut anybody. Similarly, so these are impressions in the mind. See, without these impressions, there won't be a personality. How can Vivekananda be Vivekananda um, without all the you know distinctive natures? Swami Vivekananda liked ice cream and Sri Ramakrishna liked jalebi. Does that mean that they, they had great desire with the gluttons for jalebi or ice cream? Not at all. Nothing that there was nothing there that would bind them, but these are these remain as the distinctive features of the personality. Every saint has them. 
So some are very peaceful by nature, some may be rough and scolding by nature, but none of them actually bind them. That's the, that's the instrument which, through which they're expressing themselves. And then Rekha Kalikar says, negative tendencies are overcome prior to enlightenment. Yes. Enlightenment is not possible without this cleansing. cleansing. Yes. Enlightenment is not possible without this cleansing. Purity of mind is necessary to a great extent. Still, certain things may be left over. Like uh, Totapuri used to lose his temper. But you see, that doesn't bind him because when Sri Ramakrishna said, scolded him, you know, and then nobody saw Totapuri angry anymore. That's the difference. If there is something that they find is incongruous with their enlightenment, they can get rid of it immediately. But the rest of us, we can't. They are really part of our, of our personality. We can, but it takes, it takes a lot of hard work for us to transform this pers our personality. Shravani says, does the context of time-space causation differ in dream and waking states? Yes. The I in dream does experience having traveled to Africa for uh, safari. Does the ego in dream differ from the waking ego? Yes, all mandukya. The ego in the dream is what? Taijasa. Ego in the waking is what? Vishwa. Uh, the waker and the dreamer. I call them the waker and the dreamer. Two different egos because they are associated with different bodies, different time, space, different experiences. And yet, in and through all of them, who are you? Because it's, it's not, a, not that there are three persons in you, one waker, one dreamer, one deep sleeper. They're all you. So if you get rid of the subject and the object in each state, the knower and the known, pramata, prameya, the waker and the waker's universe, the dreamer and the dream universe, the deep sleeper and the potential universe of deep sleep. Other than that, who are you? That's the Turiya. Rodrigo says, one thing described it is that they are light as if gravity will have no power over them. Hmm. It's described in the Yoga Sutras. Alpana says, is it that in normal state of the enlightened, the person stops using the mind but can use it while dealing with the world? That is true. Um, they use it like an instrument. Just because you have a pen does not mean you'll keep writing. Just because I have a hand doesn't mean it'll keep grabbing things. But your mind, but it keeps keeps thinking, keeps chattering away. Most of it is useless. It's keep chattering away. And we think we cannot be silenced. It can be silenced. It should be silent. When it is needed, it will be used. I know I remember this story about Ramana Maharshi. He was as usual sitting in deep silence, quiet. Somebody asked, What is the Maharshi thinking? And Ramana Maharshi did not say anything. Somebody else replied, The Maharshi is not thinking anything. Ramana Maharshi smiled to show that, yes, it is true. That I am the witness consciousness. Reflected in the mind as reflected consciousness. Why does the mind have to keep churning away? In our case, it keeps churning away because of two reasons. One, of course, is lack of practice because we are not meditative. Second, deeper reason. Because our, we feel our very existence is connected with the mind. If the mind is not there, I am not there. So, of course, the mind has to keep on doing this or that. That's not true. Anuradha says, you gave examples of all the monks. Please give some for the householders. So all the examples of life to householders or monks. These are people I have come into contact with or stories I've heard from other monks. So obviously they give examples of other monks. 
But it's true of householders also. If you see the example of um, Girish Ghosh or, uh, um, you know, especially Nag Mahashay, extraordinary, Master Mahashay, Master Mahashay, Nag Mahashay, many wonderful householder disciples, they attained exactly the same realization uh, as the monastic disciples. Um, Swami Prabhavanandaji, who founded the Vedanta Society of Southern California. So when he was going to come to the US, he was being sent to America. Um, he went to meet Master Mahashay M. Now M, he was, um, Prabhavanji was young, just, you know, like a, a young monk and M was so senior. He was the writer of the gospel, a closed uh, disciple of Sri Ramakrishna. And most of these young men had become monks. They were attracted by the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, by M. And M encouraged these young men to become monks. But when they did become monks, all these young men who had tremendous reverence for him, because he was a sage, those monks who had tremendous reverence for him, he would never allow them to salute him, to bow down to him, because they have become monks. Now, Prabhavanji, when he was being sent to the United States, he had made up his mind, he was going to touch M's feet. Um, because, but M won't let him because he's a monk. So what he did was he went and told M that I'm now being sent, uh, sent away to the West. And so I've come to seek uh, for your blessings. And M of course would say that it is Sri Ramakrishna who gives blessings. So you please sit and pray to Sri Ramakrishna to bless me. So M being with the simple person he was, he sat down in meditation and went into deep meditation and quickly Prabhavanji touched, <laughs> touched his feet. Um, why did I say that? Yes, these are people who are fully enlightened just because they are householders and uh, because of uh, reasons that uh, you know, they are to show respect to the monks. That's why he didn't. But, the, but Prabhavanji and others, they, they knew that M and the other householder disciples were no less than uh, their monastic gurus, the direct disciples of Sri Ramakrishna. Sandhyas and Rajiv says, so the third category of Jivan Mukti is the same as Brahmi Stiti. All of them are Brahmi Stiti. First category, second category, third category, all are Brahmi Stiti. Brahmi Stiti means being centered in Brahman. That's what I was trying to say. You should not say that one person is a great master and is teaching so many thousands. The other person just sits in a cave, who knows what he is. Uh, so maybe that person has, has not fully enlightened. Not necessarily. The person may be fully enlightened also. You cannot make a rule about it. What are the duties of the enlightened one? The answer, there are no duties. Then Rick says, is the Mandan Mishra Shankara debate? There was some story about the wife not being able to there the whole time. So she judged by the outcome of outcome by whose garland wilted first. So there's a story that she put the garlands on Shankara and her husband and the debate will go on and the garland, the garland which wilts first, that person is lost. So I always uh, interpret it this way. The one who becomes nervous and is beginning to lose the debate, maybe that person sweats more and the garland <laughs> wilts or something like that. But I'm just joking. Yeah, there is the story. So the story is very, very nice. <laughs> Sandhya says, does one's prarabdha karma get wiped out without actually consuming it when one gets mukti? 
prarabdha karma does not get uh, wiped out without being consumed anabhuktam kshiyate karma karma is not destroyed without imparting its results or, or without giving its results so prarabdha karma will give its results and until its results are given the body will continue in other words what if the prarabdha karma still remains can one still get mukti notice for the enlightened person the enlightened person already has got mukti is already free from the enlightened person's perspective it doesn't matter if the prarabdha karma is there or not thank you for this enlightening lectures humble and sincere gratitude thank you very much for being willing victims <laughs> yeah. teacher also needs students absorption was is absorbed in supreme brahman or prakriti uh, technically prakriti but uh, really ultimately it is supreme brahman alone because prakriti itself has no existence apart from supreme brahman and the upanishads say they are absorbed in brahman they are original texts how liberated gurus keep teaching that is the jivan mukta that is the one who teaches that's the third kind of jivan mukta who out of compassion teaches krishna murti says advise us how we can continue the study of advaita beyond this text oh we are just starting the journey St- stick around 